This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. So for a couple weeks, I've been sharing the elements that I find in the Christmas story. You may, may find others on your own, and that's great. That would be my goal, would be for you to dig around on your own and find elements that I'm not even seeing <coughs> in there. But the ones that, there are 14 that I came up with, and I've shared 10 of them with you, and they are simplicity, which is pretty obvious, uh, the simplicity of the story. Humility, that's pretty obvious, and we've shared some details about that. The natural, so a girl giving birth to a baby, that's natural. Being in the uh, elements of the environment they were in, that's natural. But also the supernatural is number four because for this to happen, there had to be a supernatural involvement for a virgin girl to give birth to a child. That's pretty supernatural, right? For angels to appear in the sky to shepherds who are watching over their flocks on the third shift, that's pretty supernatural. For, for kings or wise men from the Far East to come, to even know to come, was supernatural. For the deliverance of the young child from the intention of, of Herod to kill him involved the supernatural. Angels showing up to different individuals along the way and giving them messages and, and giving them instructions that was, of course, supernatural. Peace, number five. The angels declared it. Christ offered it. Holy Spirit still makes it available every day. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Worship. Just mentioned worship. Because worship is supposed to saturate everything. You know, it's supposed to run through all that we do and all that we are and every element is covered and soaked in worship. Amazement. The shepherds were amazed when the angel appeared. I'm sure that every individual who was visited by an angel was amazed. Um, and then, as the shepherds went and told the story of what happened, it says all, everybody who heard it was amazed. And of course, I... A little bit of speculation required, but it seems that the wise men were amazed as well. They bowed, they worshipped, they gave expensive gifts, and it, it would be um, sort of out of character if they didn't leave there as well and share the story and other people be amazed by it. Then there was wealth, which is kind of this uh, strange element that we have to take a minute to ponder and see, does that really belong? But I think it does. You know, the wise men came bearing gifts, gold. Always been one of the most valuable things on the planet. Frankincense and myrrh, these are very expensive um, elements and articles that they brought with them to give to the newborn king. And it always takes wealth for the kingdom of God to be perpetuated, right? Uh, when the rich young ruler came to ask Jesus a question, his question was, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God or to be saved? And Jesus said, for you, what's required is that you go sell everything you own and give the money away to the poor. Bless the poor. Enrich the poor. 
further the kingdom because wealth is required in order for that to happen. We should always give thanks for the wealthy people that come along who are willing to share their resources to help advance the kingdom. Don't you agree with that? So my brother has a few numbers in his phone that are the numbers of billionaires. I know a couple of billionaires. I don't have their numbers in my phone, but he does. And some people turn their noses up at that, and they're like, well, you know, Jesus said it's harder for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. But he didn't say it's impossible. He only said it's difficult. I think if you have tons of money, it's going to be more difficult for you to live your life in submission to the authority of God Almighty, but it's not impossible. It's possible for every person to live under that authority, and we need it. <clears throat> but even aside from whether the wealthy person submits his or her life to Christ, we'll take their money anyway. Okay? We'll take their money. The story I shared last week about Bruce taking money from a drug dealer who wanted to support our efforts with children. And people say, would you really use drug money? Well, of course. Why would we not take drug money off the streets to do good works with? It would be stupid not to. But along with the wealth, you have poverty. And listen, you will always have poverty. And I can't find a good way to really explain that because I feel like people always still just kind of walk away with a little bit of confusion when you say that poverty's okay. And when I say poverty's okay, I don't mean that it's awesome for people to be poor, for people to struggle in that way. <clears throat> but Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor with you. So I think, number one, we need to be okay with just being okay with reality. Don't you? Um, poverty is never going to disappear. Just like no other major problem in the world like human trafficking. We're fighting against human trafficking, but are, are we ever going to completely eliminate human trafficking? No. Will we ever completely eliminate abuse? No. Addiction? No. But does that mean that we should not fight against it? No. We should absolutely fight with everything we have and everything we are against it, but with the understanding that poverty is always going to be around us, and this is why it's a good thing for wealthy people to also be around us so that we can help those who are impoverished. The shepherds, the commoners, were people who lived in poverty, and they were blessed by the good news. We're not told that they got rich because of it. <clears throat> we're not told that they grew enough faith to then be able to build a huge house and ride the best camel. That's, that's not really the point of the kingdom. Number 10, and the last one we covered last week, is power. God Almighty showing up, sending angels, doing the supernatural, causing miraculous things to happen in the lives of people, bringing His Son to this earth to live and die for us. That is a powerful situation, a powerful scenario. 
And then you have the Jewish religious system and you have the Romans, which is the opposite side of power, but it's still power. And look, the point of that is that we have the power of God available to us, but that we're always going to be at war with the powers of this world. You understanding what I'm saying? What does Ephesians 6 say? It says that you don't war against flesh and blood. We're not at war with each other. Why are we screaming at each other? Why are you hateful towards people who are on the other end of the political spectrum than you are? We're not at war with them. We're at war with the Spirit. We're at war with philosophies of, the, of this age. We're at war with things that are behind the scenes that are controlling the actions of the people that we see. We're not at war with them. Our, our choice to hate them is the wrong choice. So when it comes to the power of the world, that's what we're at war with. Principalities, he calls it, and powers, and the rulers. It's the, it's the entities that are moving and, and forming and influencing that are behind the scenes. You see, the average human being, I don't think really even understands at a deep enough level to try to respond to spiritual warfare. That's why when Jesus said, when you pray, pray this. And you get to that point, and I keep emphasizing this over and over for the past year or so, and there must be a reason behind it. He, he says, pray that he, you will not be led into temptation. And then what's next? Pray that you will be delivered from evil. Why should we pray to him that he would deliver us from evil? The answer is very simple. Because we are not capable of delivering ourselves from evil. So you can do all the screaming at the devil that you want to. You can raise your voice in prayer. You can go to spiritual warfare conferences. You can shout all the slogans. You can make all the commands and the demands. And you can cast out left and right. And certainly we've been given the authority by the power of the Holy Spirit to do that, but it is the power of the Holy Spirit that actually completes the work, not us. So if we're going to be at war with the systems of the world, we need to have complete dependence on the power of God to get that work done. So there are four more, and I'm going to give you these four pretty quickly and then finish up with the gifts that are available to all of us today, okay, at Christmas time. <clears throat> Number 11 is weakness. We love to focus on the positive stuff the feel-good stuff, the stuff that feels like blessing, that feels like encouragement, that feels good, right? We love all that. You know, when you look down this list, what feels good? The supernatural, the peace, the worship, the amazement. All that feels good. And then, then you get to these words like poverty and like weakness. Look, sometimes as believers, I think we get disillusioned or at least thrown off course a little bit by denying reality again. 
reality is, is that weakness is involved in the human experience, even in the lives of followers of Christ. Should we be satisfied with it? No. Should we grant it license to control us? No. Who in the room has had an experience in the last few days where you, you love God, you're living in relationship with God, you're a believer, you're a Christ follower, but you have allowed weakness to control some sort of a situation in you and make you act a certain way or talk a certain way or think a certain way. Yeah. The, I mean, the most mature Christian in the room would have to say that happens to them here and there. Don't get okay with your weaknesses, but don't try to deny that weaknesses exist in the lives of believers or you're going to get knocked off the rails pretty frequently and you're going to be disappointed with yourself and you're going to feel guilty and you're going to live with some level of condemnation, self-condemnation because that's what the scripture says. Condemnation comes but we're told in Romans 12 that it doesn't belong there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the what? The flesh, but after the Spirit. So what's the key? The power of the Spirit is the key. Not self-dependence. Not making sure we brush up on our spiritual disciplines. Yes, they're important, but they're not going to get us through. Your Bible reading alone is not going to make you everything you need to be to be an overcomer. Your prayer life alone is not going to get you there. Are those important? Absolutely. Church attendance alone, giving your tithes and offerings alone, or even a combination of everything I've just mentioned, is not going to empower you to be able to overcome your weaknesses at all times. It's only the Spirit of God that can do that. It's life in the Spirit. So when it happens that your weakness takes over and controls your thinking, your attitude, because this is the progression, everything starts with a thought, then an attitude develops, then there's communication either verbally or body language or both, and then there's behavior, there's action, and there's reaction. So whenever you know that you're being controlled by your weakness and you're functioning off of those things, invoke the Spirit to intervene. And you can do that, and I'll tell you how and why. <coughs> Number one, because He's always available. It's right here. Right here. All the time. If you're a spirit-filled Christ follower, he's right here all the time. All the time. So I ask you if you have, in the past few days or whatever, allowed a weakness to dictate what you're doing. Well, when's the last time you just stopped and said, Holy Spirit, yeah, I'm just going to need you to take over right here. I'm just submitting this situation to you. I'm going to calm 
my mind and my spirit by depending on you. I'm whispering this prayer to you, and I'm trusting you to do your work in this situation. How often do we do that? Well, I can answer it for you, not nearly often enough. Not near, think about it. Think about it. The greatest resource available to us ever at any time in any situation. And how often do we take advantage of it? How often do we react out of the natural instead of the supernatural? The supernatural is to ask Him to do something. The supernatural is to whisper a prayer. The supernatural is to calm yourself. Tracy uh, said something to me a day or two ago about, <coughs> you know, it's Christmas time and it's kind of wild in, in our world at Christmas time. I mean, she loves it and she does all the stuff and all, but it creates some stress. And she's just like, I'm just, you know, I'm just wound up and I, and I got no peace right now. I said, well, Sherlock. And she said, what'd you just call me? <laughs> well, it's this word I came across in a book I'm reading. It's kind of strange. But this guy exercises this, this uh, approach to meditation, you know, good meditation, not the weird stuff, where he just stops and he takes three breaths in as far as you can breathe, hold it three seconds, breathe out as far as you can breathe out. Pause, do it again. Do that three times. The whole time, you're, you're thinking, you're settling your brain, and it's called shellac. And, and it just causes you to focus on relaxing. You've got to get relaxed before you can go to something different. It's very difficult to try to go from turmoil into tranquility just on a decision. You're going to have to go through a little bit of a process to get there. So whatever works for you, it's a good thing to practice going after some tranquility in chaotic situations and to allow the Spirit to invoke the Spirit of God to take control. Our weaknesses are not going away completely. We should never be satisfied with them, but we have the Spirit. What did Paul say? He says, in my weakness, His power is perfected. Get that? Who am I dependent on? Who should I be depending on? Number 12, unity. Man, it's huge. We could just stay there for a long time, but we can't. Unity. Just start with Mary and Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. She's old. Uh, an angel has visited her husband, said, Elizabeth's going to have a baby. He's like, ah, yeah, uh, we're past that. He struck mute, but she gets pregnant. Six months pregnant, Mary comes to visit her. Mary herself has been visited by an angel. They come together in unity on the situation. And you know what happens when you come together in unity? The supernatural shows up. 
the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps inside of her when Mary walks in the door. It's a supernatural starting to be revealed. That baby is John the Baptist, right? The forerunner, the one who's paving the way for the arrival of the baby that Mary will carry. This unity, and then Mary is engaged to a young man. They're not married. They've never had relations, and so she gets pregnant, but there's this unity that remains. Why? Because they believe the voice of God. They trust, they have faith that, you know, they have to have in order to deal with these circumstances. The shepherds, they unify. They unify with the angels. They unify in worship. They unify together. They come to the manger. They unify with Mary and Joseph and the baby. There's a sense of completeness and wholeness and unity here. Nobody's getting in the way at this point. And then the wise men join, and then the angels are there, and then God is pronouncing His blessing and His favor over this entire situation. And there is this beautiful spirit of unity which belongs in the church, y'all. Belongs in the church. You know, I went to visit a church property that's for sale here in the county this week. Looking at maybe just purchasing it for City of Refuge to do something with it. And unfortunately, the thing that stood out in my mind when I went to visit it was that I knew about it from a long time ago. When out of a church split, you know, somebody went to pastor that church and took a bunch of people from another church with them. And there was all sort of controversy around it. And that's what I've always remembered it for. And now it's belly up, and they're selling the property, right? Look, split don't belong in the vocabulary of the church. Division doesn't belong in the vocabulary of the church. Gossip, backbiting, murmuring, grumbling, complaining doesn't belong in the vocabulary of the church. Unity is the heart of God. We're told that there is one God, one manifested in three persons, and that the church is to be in unity with Him and with each other inside the body. Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, angels, God, the church, you, me, unified in our worship, in our service, in our kingdom walk. And number 13, the contrast to unity is controversy. Because Jesus was born into a fallen world just like you and I were, there's always controversy, controversy there and it's going to show up. And it showed up early in the story and has always been part of the Jesus narrative. Listen. There's a hatred for Jewish people around the world. It's not just in America, although it has grown in America exponentially in the last few years again. A hatred for the Jewish people. If you want to know why there's a hatred for the Jewish people, you can give that answer in one word, 
and the word is a name. The Jewish nation is hated because of the person of Jesus Christ. And you can say, well, you know, but Jews don't, by and large, don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Jesus was a Jew. I went to a, a funeral recently where it was proclaimed from the pulpit during the eulogy that Jesus was Palestinian. No, that's incorrect. I'm sorry. Jesus was a Jew. That's pretty well documented. Okay. And the formation of the church of Jesus Christ around the world is what caused hatred for the Jews to grow and grow and grow throughout the centuries. It's the reason for the Holocaust. The person of Jesus is at the heart of controversy in terms of the world's views and the world's opinions and the world's philosophies. It became part of the story early. It's still part of the story today. And it's one of those negative things that is not going away. So it's always going to be there. We just have to decide what we're going to do with it. How are we going to handle it? How are we going to think about it? How are we going to respond to it? And the answer to that is we continue to depend on the Spirit and the Word of God. And you are never, ever to approach the Word of God unless it's by the Spirit of God. Has Bible reading ever been tedious to you? Ever seemed like a waste of time? Ever seemed like you didn't understand what you were reading? Just been, you know, laborious to try to even do it? Well, sorry to tell you, but that means you're not reading it by the Spirit. You ever been very uh, spiritually in tune and intense and gone to the Word and saw something that you'd read many times before that you never saw before? You never, I mean, you'd read it over and over, you heard it preached and taught, and you're very familiar with it, but all of a sudden you see something in it that you never thought about. That's what happens when you go to the Word by the Spirit. It's the Word of God by the Spirit of God that will help you to deal with the controversy. Don't, don't try to figure it out intellectually. It doesn't work. Don't try to use your own smartness, your own giftedness to try to negotiate your way through the controversies that are created through the clash between the spirit and the world, you can't do it. It's impossible. It's only by the spirit and through the word of God that you can negotiate your way through controversy. The spirit just shows up again. And now we finish with this. And of course, it's not going to be any surprise to you. The 14th word is the word obedience. Where in this story, the most miraculous, profound story ever in the history of humanity, do you not find the element of obedience? You find it everywhere. Just like you find it from Genesis to Revelation, and you still find it in whatever God is doing and saying today. The element of obedience. God tells the angel to go to Zechariah and the angel obeys. God tells Mary 
She's going to have a child. The child is going to be the son of God. Mary is a human being. Any of these people have the option to say, I'm not going to do it. But she obeys. The angel appears to Joseph to tell him what's going on and to give him instruction, and Joseph obeys. All throughout the story, you find this element of obedience. It is the overarching theme of the entire story, just like it's the overarching theme of the entire Scripture. I, this morning, saw a quote pop up, which, which I just said, thanks, Lord. You know, that has to just be for me right now. And Mason's going to put it up on the screen. <coughs> Miss Faye will love it because it's David Wilkerson. When God calls you to something, now let, let's hold on a minute. Take your mind off of the Jesus story, the birth in Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph and all that, and put your mind on yourself. Okay? You, who you are, where you are, what you're doing, what you sense God is doing in you, what God may be calling you toward. All right, or did call you toward at some point, or is in process of calling, and you feel like you're on some sort of a journey. Okay, this is for you. When God calls you to something, He is not always calling you to succeed. What? Why would God call me to anything if success is not the goal? Look you got to start at ground zero. Success is never the goal. Results are never the goal. Never. If I die and they roll me out up here, my body, and anybody start, gets up and starts to name my accomplishments. How many, how many people were born again under my ministry? How many people... I can't even think about it. If that starts to happen, somebody jump up and scream at them to sit down and shut up. And if nobody does that, I'm coming back to get you. We are not called to succeed. We are not called to produce results. We are not called to give a list of good works that happen through us or in us. God is not calling you to succeed. He's calling you to obey. Period. The success of the calling is up to Him. The obedience is up to you. I hope you take everything that's in there home with you. Because success in the kingdom, listen, I didn't say that there is not to be success. I just said it's not your job to produce it. Success is never the goal for you and me. There will be success, but it won't be because of us. 
Or if it is because of us, it'll only because of, it be because of our level of obedience to the call. And then it's only indirectly because of us then. We cannot take credit for good stuff that happens. We can't take credit for good works. We can't take credit for results. The only thing we should ever strive for and can ever take credit for is our level of obedience. When God calls you to do something, He's not calling you to succeed. He's calling you to obey. How do I know that? How could we not know that? When you start with the very first story in the very first book of the Bible, and we see that everything about God's relationship with humanity was wrapped up in obedience. He never told even Adam, you are responsible to grow this fruit. You're responsible to make sure the water is clean. You're responsible to make sure the animals are healthy. He never told them any of that. He said, you do what I tell you and everything you need will be provided for you. Every blessing, every good gift, every good conclusion, every benefit will be yours if you will simply obey. And his command to them was very short, very simple. It involved one rule. Do not mess with that tree. Do not eat the fruit of that tree. Do not go to other sources, other voices. In the tree of life, which is representative of the person of God himself, is everything you need. You go to that tree. In other words, go to me. Worship me. Bow down before me. Eat of my fruit. Eat of the good stuff that I give to you. And every blessing, every benefit, every level of success you can ever imagine, and then a whole lot more will be yours if you will just obey me. Just do what I'm telling you. Just do what I'm telling you. And this is our big resistance, resistance as human beings is we don't want to do what we're told. We want, you know, sometimes we want to say we will, we want to act like we want to, but then we don't. We go on and do our own thing. And we do it our own way. And all we're doing is running interference to the success that God wants to bring. He didn't call you to save the world. He call, called you to obey Him. Okay? Whatever He calls you to, say yes. I think it's a good idea to get up every morning and in your prayer time, hopefully you have one. If you don't, well, I don't know what to tell you. In your prayer time, say, God, will you show me what you're doing and will you tell me what will you help me to hear what you're saying the scripture has this powerful principle of hearing and seeing but it doesn't stop with that you remember the phrase whoever has ears to hear what does that mean it says not everybody's listening and you may hear it here but you don't hear it here but he wants you to hear it here Whoever has ears to hear, whoever has e eyes to see what the Spirit is saying, and then what's our obligation? Obey it. So to get up every morning and have a little prayer time and say, Father, will you show me what you're doing? Will you help me to hear what you're saying? And then once you start to see it and hear it, just say yes. I'm in. I'm all in. 
What, what better decision do you think you could make than to say yes to what God is doing? You think you have a better plan? Some way to create better results? Some way to help him do his job? No, believe me, just read the Bible. People have been trying that all throughout the history of humanity. It just don't work. It's never going to work. Just obey. Obedience is the key to everything, and blessing follows obedience, period. What time is it? 11.29. Y'all are amazed, right? Father, thank you for this time together uh, and for this group of family members we get to hang out with. We feel tremendously blessed by this house, this family, this place today, and blessed by you and your spirit. Thank you that you've challenged us to go out of here and to rely more fully on you than we ever have, to be more obedient to you than we ever have. And we pray that your spirit would go with us and that we would tap into that resource all the time. Thank you for it. Uh, may you be honored through this Christmas holiday by our devotion to you and our love for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.